0: Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. The message entitled, Dead, Disobedient, Children of Wrath. Paul continues to express the wealth of the believer now in chapter 2, as he did in chapter 1, as he will in chapter 3, regarding the believer in Christ. We sit in the heavens. He declared the possession of the believer focusing on the transaction of redemption in verse 1. He declared the position that we'll see now the believer in chapter 2 focusing on the transaction of salvation. In verse 1 through 3, we have the old life. 4 through 10, you have the new life. 11 through 18, we have the old citizenship in 19 through 22, our new citizenship. Chapter 2 gives us a beautiful picture of man's reconciliation to God and man. And so, what we want to do is look at man's life without Christ, which is characterized by three things in verses 1 through 3. He says, And you, he made alive who were dead and in transgressions and sins, in which you, "...once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedient, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others." Man's life without Christ here is a very bleak picture, very dark, one of the darkest in Scripture. And is characterized by three truths. First, the dreadful state of man, verse 1. Second, the daily walk of man, verse 2. And thirdly, the depraved nature of man, in verse 3. The dreadful state of man comes in verse 1. Notice the apostle declared that the entire human race of man is dead. And you he made alive who were dead. The word you is emphatic in the Greek, referring to the Gentiles. But the Jews will be included later on, we, in verse 3. There is physical death. That we know of. There is spiritual death and eternal death. There's three deaths spoken about in the Bible. Physical death, as you know, is a word that means one who breathes his last. He's no longer uh, animated in this world. He ceases to exist. And um, uh, it comes from the word corpse or cadaver. Hebrews 9.27 says, to The point of man to die, and then after that, the judgment. But there's spiritual death. And this is really the context here. But spiritual death deals with the soul of man. The soul of suki in the Greek is the vital force which uh, animates the body. It shows that we are alive. We move around. And um, like the Hebrew word nefesh, that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam, the breath of, of life in Genesis 2.7, made him a living being. The soul comprises the intellect, the emotion, the will, as we've talked many times. Um, who that person is in character the heart of man the real you uh, Matthew ten twenty eight says and, and do not fear those who kill the body Jesus says but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell fear him spiritual death deals with the spirit of man Notice in the text the word spirit, pneuma. It's uh, the real you, as we say, created after the image and likeness of God. Who is spirit? Uh, Genesis 1.26, and Jesus said to the woman of Samaria, in John 4.24, God is spirit. Now, due to the fall, the spirit of man is dead. This is the context of our context here, of our text. Um, our previous uh, spiritual condition... Deadness towards God before salvation, even though we were physically alive before we were born again, we were spiritually dead. Well, we didn't think about God in terms of only when we were in trouble, but we didn't desire a relationship with Him. We didn't seek Him. We didn't read the Word of God. You might have been religious, but it doesn't mean that you knew God. We did not know Him, care about the things of God. We didn't want to bring glory to Him. And the phrase He made alive Notice this is in italics. Underline that. That means that it's not in the original Greek text. It's, uh, it doesn't appear till verse 5. The same thing happens in Romans chapter 1 at the beginning. Uh, you, about no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus who walked not after the spirit but after the flesh. It's in italics because it, it occurs later on. So the Greek translators put it in so that you get the understanding of it before you get there. That's all it is, but it's not in the original Greek. Um Paul is con- contrasting, notice, the um, the dead old life of sin to the resurrected new life of godliness. Verse 1 through 3, the old life. 4 through 10, the life of godliness. Here's the contrast, verse 1 through 10. Now, there's a third one, eternal death, and suffice it to say that it, it means... Uh, separation from God for all eternity. That's really eternal death. And that's really the best, the best description of physical death is the separation of your spirit and soul from your body. Eternal death is eternal separation from God for all eternity. Uh, once you die physically, there is no second opportunity for repentance. This is called the second death in Revelation 20:14 after the White Throne Judgment. Uh, and those are cast there. Uh, Jude identifies apostates as twice dead, eternally separated from God in Jude verse 12. Now notice the apostle Paul declared the natural man is spiritually dead, evident by his conduct in trespasses and sins. The word trespasses and sins, um, both of them are not distinguished by some commentators making them the same, but there is a slight difference um, the two words are complementary to each other, I believe, to get a full picture. The two words are chosen by the Holy Spirit, so never think that they're not necessary or important. Uh, the Spirit provides comprehensive account of human sinful and evil conduct here. Both words include thoughts, deeds, or... Um, deeds, thoughts, or deeds, or words. In in other words, you can sin in many different ways, just by thinking, by doing, or just by speaking. Now, the word trespass identifies our rebellions against God or towards God. The word trespass focuses on the natural man's rebellion um, to do wrong, or to do evil willfully, purposely, and deliberately in act of disobedience. Uh, Human beings being fallen, but uh, though they're fallen, they know right from wrong. Having been given a conscience by God to convict them of right and wrong. To choose right or good or evil. As you were growing up as a child, you knew. There was a conscience. The prohibition of doing wrong sometimes provokes us to do the wrong. Wet paint, don't touch. What do you do? You touch it. The word trespass means to deviate from the right path, crossing uh, over a known boundary. you walking along the side of the road and you see a fence and it says no trespass. Does that ring a bell? <laughs> In other words, don't go over this fence. That's what a trespass is. Knowing, marked out, and you still cross over. You tell your kid who's four years old, don't do that. And he sticks his big foot over that line and says, what are you going to do about it? That's a trespass. Our conscience serves as an alarm before doing the wrong or, or the pain sensor after doing wrong. It says, ah, ah, ah. And then when you do wrong or I do wrong, before we were born again, something happens. Your heart palpitates. Your hands sweat. You freak out. It all depends on what you did and how bad it was, right? The evidence is that in our thoughts, we accuse others and excuse ourselves about what we did, Romans 2.16 says. So from conscience, we're without excuse, even if we're not born again before God. We know right from wrong. The longer we trespass, the more we callous our conscience, and the less it works the way God intended it to work. Now, the word sins identifies our failures towards God. As well as towards man. And, and, and the trespass is also towards man. But here it's in relationship to God. We're dead. So that's what the focus is. The word sins harmatius, means um, to miss the mark or to fall short of the standard. Every human being is imperfect, as you know, and fails in the various standards throughout life, whatever it may be. No one is perfect. Um, this includes in morality and ethics and social responsibilities, whatever it may be. And sins are the byproduct of sin nature, being more passive than deliberate, active as a trespass. In other words, we sin because we're sinners. Sometimes we don't even know we're sinning because we're so used to it. Okay? Or maybe, you know, you're driving down the street and somebody yells something at you and you just, you know, you give in to that. It's just a, a reaction of anger or whatever, and, and, and that's a sin. So the best way to describe trespass is willful knowingly and, 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 and actually saying what are you going to do about it. And, and the sin is just because we, we, we're sinners and we produce sin, and it, and it comes natural. So you need both of them to understand that there's, like the Old Testament says, sins of omission, sins of commission, Right? You can lie by not telling the truth, by omitting truth, and you can lie by distorting truth, right? Omission and commission. We sin because we're born from two sinners who have produced a new sinner. The sin nature of our parents was transferred to each of us and passed to every human being, even as Adam's sinfulness was transferred unto us in Romans 5.12. A tree produces um, certain kinds of fruit according to its nature. An apple tree produces apples. A cherry tree produces cherries. No orange tree ever, er, ever produces almonds. It, it just won't happen. What a contrast this is to man's constant declaration that man is good, alive, and close to God. The Bible says he is Dead and trespasses and sins, alienated from God. Man is like a man full of cancer and yet unaware of it, dead while he lives, as First Timothy 5, says, living in sin. He's like the chaotic condition of the earth prior to the moving of God's spirit without form and void in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Only when man acknowledges his true and dreadful state of poverty of spirit does he have any hope and can be saved? This takes place through the preaching of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen, as you know. The results of, uh, uh, of conviction, uh, of trespasses and sins, then that man sees himself or herself the evidence of the spiritual deadness and separation from God. And the gospel is there to prompt them to repent, but doesn't repent for them. But it opens up the eyes, illuminates, to let me see my sin and trespass and the separation and the reality of it. Acts 2 37, 38, and the day of Pentecost, they said, Now when they heard this, preaching the gospel, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall I do? And then Peter said to them, Repent and that every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's through the gospel. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. Their spirit being made alive by God, aware of his goodness and their unworthiness. And their need of God. For the first time. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.3. Blessed the poor in spirit means poverty of spirit. They see themselves having nothing to be to merit salvation, but they're depending totally on the work of Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean poor money wise. He that has a son has life, he who has not a son has not life. First John five twelve says. There are those who teach that man is a dichotomy, body and spirit. While well, I, like others, believe that man is a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. Some teach that the soul and the spirit are one and synonymous, the same. Now, the scriptures do use soul and spirit synonymous at times to refer to man. But the scriptures clearly teach that those who repent, and are born again, their spirits are made alive, distinct from those who are not born again and their spirits are dead, as stated here in our text. So you can't make them synonymous with the soul. It is due to our spirit made alive that we are made able to live for the glory of God by the new nature to not have our soul um, on the other hand, if you don't have the soul the way they, they, they distinguish it, the, the soul is the intellect, the emotion, and the will. So my spirit's alive. If I have my soul, that's distinct from that. And if the spirit's dead, my intellect, emotion, and will is still present, right? So I have to dis- make the distinction between the soul and the spirit because two things are happening to the one born again and not born again in the spirit, so you can't make them the same. In this way, we can present our body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, in Romans 12, 1 and two. This way, by the new divine nature, we can walk and and, and escape the crutch of the world, as First uh, Peter um, or Second Peter chapter one verse three through four tells us. First um, Thessalonians five twenty three says this. May Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is teaching a trichotomy. Body, soul, and spirit. In fact, when they stoned Stephen... He called on God and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You and I are spirit. It goes instantly present before the Lord. Our soul will be there also. Our intellect, emotion and will. But it will be be just like Christ. So this is the dreadful state of man before coming to Christ. Dark, dead. Though he's healthy and physically alive, he's dead. You and I were there. Notice secondly in verse 2. The daily walk of man is a second characteristic here. The apostle Paul declared the natural man walks to the standards of the fallen world. The believer that once was spiritually dead, living in trespasses and sins, did so as a habit and practice of life. In which you once walked, he says. The word walk means to walk around or to make one's way. uh, To regulate one's life or conduct regarding oneself. This life had a start as a young child being taught by the parents, right or wrong. Then there's the people and friends that come into that circle as they begin to develop. And we learn good and bad things from them. And there is the educational system and society itself that in, involves the majority of our uh, young teen life and adult life, which shapes the majority of our character. The heiress active tense here indicates an ongoing, consistent manner of life. This life we once walked had a learning curve till we became proficient in trespasses and sins. Remember this life we once walked had a progression of trespasses and sins. The learning curve and progression of our trespasses and sins includes our filthy talking, our drinking, our taking drugs. And they became more destructive as we progressed and we learned that learning curve and we became proficient to these things. And you can keep the list going. And one of the most destructive progressive transgressions willfully and sinful is the sin of sex. And you see there the learning curve. The progression that the world pushes versus holding hands and then that doesn't do. And then it's, you know, putting your hand your arm around the girl and then it's around her waist and it's kissing and Heading. And sooner or later, the goal is sexual intercourse. And the progression of trespasses and sins. Sin never says enough. Sin never says, I'm satisfied. Never. It's insatiable. Hell and destruction are never full. Neither are the eyes of man ever satisfied, the proverb says. The believer that Once walked in trespasses and sins, did so being man-centered. According to the course of this world, the word for according identifies the enslavement of man and means down with the idea of being dominated, controlled. You know what he means. I know what he means being a Christian now. In conformity to the lies, in lying with ungodliness, in imitation of what is bad and evil, in agreement to the, be a slave of trespass and sins, it dominated us. It pushed us forward. The word "course" aeons indicates the period of time. It means age. The spirit of the age, dead in trespass and sins of evil and darkness. the norms and mores of society even when there are morals even when there are ethics man is still dead and trapped in sins he may be moral he may be a good citizen he may be good neighbor Sam but he's still dead because none of that morality or ethic can merit presence before God as we'll see because we are sinners by nature we're enemies of God. That which is not of God, but of man. That which denies, mocks, and opposes the standards of God. The word world, as you know, is cosmos. You get the word cosmetics from it. Bringing things out of order into order. <laughs> cosmos. It identifies fallen, the fallen world, a system that is in operation. This is human society, culture without God, secularism, humanism, intellectualism, etc. This permeates, influences, and dominates, and enslaves sinful men and women, holding them captive. Paul is saying man walks in trespass and sins that are the mariners of life in character of the time meandering like a river seeking the easiest the city of Ephesus there was a river meander if you've taken geology you know what that means that river is finding the softest soil to make its way through it meanders that's us, sinful man. We look for the softest, easiest way to sin. We're looking for it. And we just follow. That which is natural. That which is sinful. Notice the apostle Paul declared the natural man walks according to the rebel Satan. I mean, he gets real detail here. The believer once walked... As a slave to Satan, according to the prince. Once again, the word according identifies the enslavement of man, meaning down with the idea of dominating and controlling. Now, you tell a non believer that they're being dominated by Satan, they think you, you smoke some crack or something. You thought the same thing, and so did I. But you and I know different. Satan was created perfect, as you know, an anoint- the anointed cherub, second to God, and he rebelled against God, and he led a third of the angels away from God. Ezekiel 28, 11 through 18, and Revelation 12:4 tells us that. Lucifer's five I wills are found in Isaiah, and Ezekiel gives the six I wills of God in response to his threats Isaiah 14:12 through 14 and Ezekiel 12 or Ezekiel 28:12 through 18 God wins <laughs> uh, First of all Satan's not all powerful he's not all knowing he's not all present he's not the opposite of God he's a created being of God a spirit being a cherub the choir director of heaven The person of Satan is indicated by the word prince archon it means the chief ruler or commander it has the article satan holds the first authority over the fallen world and sinful fallen humanity he is called by jesus the prince and the ruler of this world in john 12:31 14:30 and 16:11 the believer once walked under the influence of satan is what paul is saying here you Gentiles, you Ephesians, you used to be there. He's reminding them of what where they came from. The believer once walked under the influence of Satan, the power of the air. Power, exousia means he has the right and authority to govern and exert this power. He has the authority. Satan is called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4. 4. The whole world lies in the sway of the evil one, the panoros, First John five nineteen. The place where the prince Satan can exert his authority and power, notice, is the air. It refers particularly to the lower and denser air as distinguished from the higher, rarer air, the atmosphere's region. Now, once again, you tell that to non-believers, they laugh at you. But there's two worlds going on right here. The one that you and I can see and there's the other one that we cannot see. But we know it's more real than this one. (laughs) And there's good angels and bad angels in here tonight. There's warfare going on. Fallen man walks under the influence of Satan who has authority by and through the demons and angels to dominate lives of men and women. Now, this doesn't mean that every non-believer is demon-possessed. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying the whole fallen humanity of man is controlled by the influence and the authority of this satanic force. Be it Satan himself or his angelic beings. In the world system, the Apostle Paul notices. Declares next, the natural man is walking according to the control of Satan. Then, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I mean, very directly that he is responsible for this. The word spirit refers to Satan also. This is not someone different than the prince of the power of the air that we just read. This is not someone opposed to the prince and the power of the air. The spirit is the prince of the power of the air. This again is not teaching that all unbelievers are possessed. But influence dominated without being aware Of their spiritual deadness. And the fact that they don't see themselves as spiritually dead. Shows how great a deception they are under as you and I were. This spirit is active in fallen humanity. For he says who now works in the sons of disobedience. The word work. It's a participle, present, active, literally, is now working. The sons of disobedience are those who are not saved. The Gentiles, that he's talking to Ephesians, they were once these sons of disobedience. They have not been made alive, but are still dead in trespasses and sins. They are walking according to the course of this world. They are walking according to the prince and the power of the air. They are walking by the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Being related to the first Adam. His offspring. Jesus said whoever commits sin is a slave of sin in John 3.34. Once again the unbeliever Is totally blind and ignorant to this. As he addresses the Ephesians, they were ignorant to it. You and I were ignorant to this. Man's daily walk is dominated by sin without realizing it. Just as a drug addict who is dominated by drugs, sin is addicting. You crave more, and it's never static. You've got to push it. You've got to push the boundaries. And when society allows these boundaries to be brought down and black and white boundaries may be made gray, then you've got a perversion that goes on in society. And a total disintegration of society. Because man gets to the place where he destroys himself. He violates himself. To the extent that there are no absolutes. And what is natural and normal and absolutely intended for man becomes corrupted and perverted to where it destroys man's relationship with man as well as man's relationship with God. All of us who are saved at one time walked according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, that works... um, Worked in us as children of disobedience, but now, having been saved, we can stand and do good warfare with God's armor, overcoming Satan. Paul later on in Ephesians six twelve says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, um, against powers, against rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, the lower atmosphere." The earth, all around us. It's the world that pulls on us. You have the three. The world, the flesh, and the devil. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now that doesn't mean you can... I like to have a car or clothes or a house or have fun. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the world, the philosophy, the culture, the things that contradict the word of God, the things that are evil, the things that offend God, that the world pushes. That's what he's talking about. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father but of the world, First John 2, 16. The evil side of things. And the world is passing away and... The lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. John, 1 John 2.17. And so now as Christians, we understand. We can appreciate the world now more than ever before. We can appreciate uh, fellowship with a person, marriage, uh, a friendship, uh, a, a, a dinner date, whatever it may be. Going to the beach. You know the Creator. It's all yours. You, you understand it. You understand that this is just temporal. It, you don't live for all the gusto you can You're wiser. The gospel is the only thing that can free man from life. A life that is full of sin. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. So things always are hindering. The sword went out and so soul ceased. Some fell by the wayside and the birds came up and they plucked it up. harpazo. Never penetrated. So Satan's there to oppose the gospel. Second 2 Timothy 2.25 and 26 says, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So man is a slave to Satan, to sin, apart from Jesus Christ. Satan and his angels have no chance of being forgiven or saved. Their destiny is sealed. Isaiah fourteen fifteen says, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angel. Matthew twenty five forty one. Do you realize that the lake of fire, Gehenna, was made for no one but Satan and his angels, and yet countless of millions and billions and trillions of people will be there? Because they rejected Jesus Christ? Satan is the one responsible for the evil of the nations of the world, by the way. Listen to Isaiah twelve twelve: You who weaken the nations, and later on it says you deceive the nations. Who's at work in the world right now deceiving them? Satan. Satan is affirmed to be over the nations as Gabriel revealed to Daniel the satanic revelation to the nations. Listen to Daniel 10, 11 through 13. It's an interesting text. And he said to me, O Daniel, man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking, this word came to me. I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. The identification, the connection of an earthly ruler with the satanic obstruction and influence. Satan is portrayed as a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour in 1 Peter 5.8. So this is the daily walk of man before knowing Christ. A very dark picture that Paul gives. Reminding the Ephesians. Once in a while, you and I have to be reminded of where we came from. After a while, we kind of have some kind of colored glasses. Oh, well, I wasn't that bad. No, you weren't that bad. You're right. You were terrible. Notice 30. The depraved nature of man. This is the third characteristic of a life without Christ. Man can do nothing but sin. He has no potential for righteousness or true holiness. Whether private or public, he will sin. Notice the apostle Paul declared, The natural man conducts himself by his sin nature. Now Paul includes the Jews. As sons of disobedience by the phrase, Among whom also we all. The plural pronoun we refers to the Jews. You emphatic in verse 1. Now we in verse 3. And the rest of the verse makes it very, very clear. The word all means each, every, anyone. Not one Jews excluded. Not even Paul. Paul stated... That the Jews were as guilty as the Gentiles. Once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. The phrase once conducted ourselves means to turn upside down, to turn thither and hither, or behave oneself. The indicative errors passive indicates the past fact. Once we conducted ourselves. As you walked in verse (laughs) 2. They're parallels. Gentile and Jew. Why? He's setting us up. As we move on, we're going to get great light next week. Verse 4. This is dark, dark, dark. But then it says, but God. Ooh. One of the most precious words and phrases. But God. There's our hope. Our only hope. The indicative again, indicates that they, in fact, at one time lived that way. The terms are synonymous with the Gentile walking according to the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air, all guilty before God, Romans one, two, and three. This is a summation of the first three chapters of Romans. <laughs> By the time you get to chapter 3, everybody is guilty before God on their faces. Not one good. No, not one. The Jews were as depraved as the Gentiles indicated by the phrase, the lust of the flesh which they once walked in. The phrase lust of the flesh means a passionate longing or craving. It can be good or bad. The context will determine what it indicates. There's nothing wrong with drinking water. Nothing wrong with, I got you, huh? You thought I was going to sound like K-Wave, huh? Um, There's nothing wrong with sex in the context of marriage. Nothing wrong with food. But if you're a glutton, then that's no good. So all the desires that God has given to you and I, they're legitimate in the context of which he has created us and designed us for. But you remove those things out of their context and design and purpose, and they become corrupt, sinful, and destructive. And we see it all around our world today, and you and I recognize that as we were in the world, as we were growing up as young people and young adults. Man has a potential for good, but the problem is that due to sin nature, his bent is towards evil. The natural man is ruled by his sinful nature that produces carnal and evil desires that are wrong and bad. Romans 7:18, uh, Paul says, in me there's not any good thing. There, there's. I find good and, and evil, in that that I don't want to do, I end up doing. That that I end up doing, I don't want to do. Wretched man that I am. That's that's a that's a the cry of of, of a believer that's still trusting the old man. A non-believer never has that warfare. do you ever have warfare? Not me. I was in the world. They said, "Let's drink." All right. Let's fill in the blank. All right. Whatever. I didn't, I didn't resist. The word "flesh sarks" can be used as a simple physical body. But here again, it's not the physical body that's wrong or evil. It's talking about the nature of my sinful nature. The word can be used for physical body in certain contexts. It can be used for sin nature or for the fruit of sin nature. The context will dictate that. Now notice Paul, the apostle, declared the natural man caters to his sin nature, as I just stated. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind Paul stated that as Jews, and that's the context of verse 3, Jews. With a sin nature, it produced evil desires, and when they arose from within them, they give in to those desires. You know, I remember being young, and the first time I had an In-N-Out was 1962, hamburger. It was good. Back then, there were a quarter... Fries were 10 cents and Coke a dime. But when I got to be about 16, 17, 18, I was in high school, I would eat two burgers on Friday night. After partying and everything, I was hungry. How did I get the two hamburgers? Easy. I just kept eating more every time. I craved it. I liked it. And it's the same with sin. Fulfilling means to do. It is a participle present active. Literally, doing. He's acknowledging in the past the Jews. Doing. The Jews were sinners as the Gentiles due to having what? The same sin nature. Do you think Mexicans have a different sin nature from uh, um, whatever, French or Germans or something? No. Paul stated here the process of the acts of sin. He already gave the source of our sin nature. He gives the personal responsibility and guilt now for the acts of sin. The word desires the flesh, this time doesn't mean sin nature. It's a different word. But what one wishes has determined or purpose to commit in sinful desire that comes from our sin nature, but it ends up as a sinful act. So in other words, this is the things I long for, I desire, I determine, I purpose, I'm going to do it. But it's the mind, notice. The annoyance. It refers to the reasoning and thought process of desire, longing, and determination to fulfill the act. The heart is evil. It affects the thoughts. It ultimately cultivates that and manifests the acts in the body or through the body. The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. And so our thoughts long for it and cultivate it and salivate over it and and there's a passion that moves within us and we are pushed closer and closer to it and then we go blind and it doesn't matter what anybody says. We're going for it. There's a progression. There's a cultivation. And once the line is crossed, it's too late. You've jumped off the building. You're committed. The aftermath of guilt, shame, and all else that follows the consequences, then it hits us a whole different way. What you believe this will do before the facts is deception. Once you cross that line, you'll really know what you didn't know. You'll find out how wrong you are about how much you thought you knew about the consequences. The problem is internal, not external. It's the nature from within. The external provokes us, things can tempt us, but the problem's from within. It enslaves the will, it cannot resist. It is contrary to faith. It kills sexual innocence, sometimes destroying people for life in many different ways. It kills ideals, crushes hope. It's a very dark picture he gives of man. Necessary. For us to be so grateful for what God has done in our life when we get to verse 4. Notice the apostle Paul declared the natural man is fallen and depraved in his nature then. And were by nature children of wrath just as others. Paul stated that the Jews were born born. Sinners. Can you imagine the face of the Jews when he would say that? (laughs) The phrase children of wrath indicates having a sin nature for the Jews in context here. Born of the sinful parents. Sinful parents produce sinful kids. The phrase sons of disobedience indicates the same thing for the Gentiles born of two sinful parents that we've seen. And notice Paul stated the wrath of God vindicates his holiness. Because God is holy, he must judge sin. God's holiness demands his wrath and his wrath demands his holiness and vindicates his holiness. The word wrath indicates God's constant hostility towards evil and his constant refusal to compromise with sin. It expresses the just punishment to sinners by a holy God. It's not wrath that's cantankerous, that blows up, that is simply an emotional outburst. It's well considered, thought out, measured. It's a just and holy and appropriate response to what violates all that God is. It's justified. It's vindicated. Paul confirmed the Jews were as depraved as the Gentiles, deserving the wrath of God, just as others. Who are the others? The Gentiles. (laughs) He's going to make Jew Gentile one as we move on. That's the whole mystery of godliness, the the, the incredible thing that he's rejoicing over. Both are depraved sinners, slaves to sin nature, and committing sins and trespasses until born again. You know, even the Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire, Jude says. You stop and think, if you've been around for any time, if you were able to be alive during the time when America taught objective truth, absolute right and wrong, then you have seen a true deterioration of America. And you've seen how low we have come to where we are even afraid to make any judgment about anything that is immoral or unethical. It opens a society for destruction. Try to balance your checkbook without making judgments on the numbers, what their equivalence is. Try to drive home without making a judgment between the red light, the yellow light, the green light. destruction. The Bible provides a clear picture of man, but man rejects it too often. There is none good, no not one, Romans 3.10 says. The entire world is guilty before God, Romans 3.19 says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, a menstrual garment, Isaiah 64.6 says that. I must agree with God on that. I must see myself as God sees me. The Bible provides the only way of escape from the judgment of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. Greatest invitation in the world, and it's to the world, all. None is excluded. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life. And the wrath of God abides in him. That's the flip side of it. John 3:36. It's a choice that man makes. As the gospel is proclaimed. And God attempts to illuminate the dark world. That dead man who is alive doesn't understand. But by the gospel he can. And God gives that illumination for conviction and repentance. Then and only then are we able to walk with God. And please him. We have to walk in the spirit so we don't walk after the flesh. Galatians 5.16. It's A or B. You can't have both. We must not... Make provision for the flesh to fulfill its cravings and lusts, Romans 13:14. Now, I'm talking about after you're born again. You still have a sin nature. It's a choice. If you don't walk after the Spirit, you will walk in the flesh. If you don't make provisions for the flesh, you won't sin. If you make provisions, your mind gets going, the engine gets started, you put the key in, you're going to drive it home. We as believers have passed from the wrath of God to the love of God. Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2. He's justified us. The love of God has been poured out in our heart. We're going to get this incredible light next week. But right now it's a very dark place that Paul is talking about. This is the desperate or the depraved nature of man. Until living for Christ. And so man's life without Christ is characterized by these three truths. The dreadful state of man before coming to Christ. Dead in trespasses and sins. The daily walk of man before knowing Christ. Conducting themselves according to to the world the prince of the power of the air this is the depraved nature of life also until living for Christ giving ourselves over to those desires the thoughts of our mind giving evidence that we're children of wrath by nature wow aren't you glad God has saved you Mm-hmm. Lord thank you for your grace your love your goodness deal with our hearts and we thank you for your goodness Lord Father we love you and we pray for those that are here Lord that perhaps do not know you that you would speak to their hearts Lord those over the internet that they would open their heart and call on your name as you're praying if you're here tonight If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to turn from your sin. If you believe that Jesus Christ is God who became man, then you can repent of your sins. That he rose from the dead to give you life, life everlasting. And he will cleanse you and make you his son or daughter. It's called repentance. If this is your desire, this is your prayer to him, not to us. You're over the internet, you can say it also, right where you are. And God's going to save you. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.